This episode of the 10-8 Podcast is brought to you by Street Cop Training. Street Cop Training is the premier law enforcement training company that is literally changing law enforcement as we know it. These guys are the best in the business. I've been to several of their classes, and they are hands down the best training I've ever attended. They currently have more than 25 instructors out in the field across the country, changing the career of cops all over. They are also having a huge conference in Atlantic City, New Jersey, October 4th through 8th, 2021. And the lineup is nuts. It includes the likes of Marcus Luttrell, Tommy Lahren, Tim Kennedy, Dakota Meyer, and many more. As well as all the amazing instructors they have, Dennis Benino, Kenny Williams, the Red Ninja, Rob Ferrero, Brad Gilmore, Tom Rizzo, and so many more. Check out their Instagram and their Facebook page for free daily training or... Go to streetcop.com to register for one of their amazing classes. You will not regret it. The views and opinions expressed on the 10-8 podcast are those of the authors and guests individually. They do not necessarily reflect an official policy or position. The 10-8 podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to the 108 Podcast, the number one police podcast bringing laughs, inspiration, and more. Being listened in all of 50 states and about 44 countries, my name is Officer Y. Thank you for joining us today. How are you doing? This is episode 40, a conversation with Sheriff Grady Judd. If this is your first time joining us, welcome, welcome, welcome. Each week, it is my privilege to bring conversations to your listening devices with some of the most premier figures in law enforcement to inspire, entertain, and inform. Over the last 39 weeks, I have brought conversations ranging in topics of mental health, line of duty deaths, proactive policing, interdiction, resiliency, defensive tactics, nutrition, SWAT, canine, and so much more. And why? Why do I do this? Well, there's a few reasons. Personally, I believe that law enforcement officers are the true superheroes of this world. And listen, we need humor, We need information, and most importantly, we need peer-to-peer support that personally I think this podcast and the page and the community that I've created provide, but also it allows for non-law enforcement friends to hear things unfiltered from our perspective, truly allowing us to humanize the badge in ways that other platforms they just miss. And this week is no different. Listen, the reason that I love podcasts and the reason I was inspired to start this show was because of the candid conversations that come from podcasts that other types of interviews and other types of sound bites miss. And today's conversation with Polk County Sheriff Grady Judd has everything that I just alluded to. 
We have humor, information, and a lot of inspiration. I cannot wait to get us started. But for those of you that do not know who Sheriff Judd is, he is the tough-talking, tough-acting sheriff of Central Florida that don't take no crap from criminals. So I put together this little clip show uh, of memorable clips from the sheriff's past interviews. Are you ready for this? If you commit vicious crime like has occurred, you need to go to jail. We don't choose to shoot people. They choose for us to shoot them. He intended to have a gunfight, and we gave him a gunfight. We re highly recommend that when we're out looking for you, that you immediately post all of your information that you can on Facebook, Instagram, tweet it out, however you want, because that helps us. And if you choose for us to shoot at you, we're going to shoot at you a lot. That's a guarantee. Do you hear what I'm saying? One more question, Sheriff, if I could. Um, I think everybody understands the gravity of what happened and the urgency and the response that you took. Some of the comments that you made last night about uh, shooting uh, the suspects, possibly, and some comments today about the uh, ready for a gunfight. Was that in the heat of the moment? Do you have any regret about that in light of what No, no, I don't know. I, I not only have no regret, I'm pretty excited about telling you that's exactly what would have happened. And make no mistake about it, there's nothing about politically correct in a gunfight. There's nothing about politically correct when you're keeping people alive and well and safe. And the people of this community and these law enforcement officers come first. I meant every word of it then, and I mean every word of it now. He said he liked handcuffs and blindfold. Well, the good news for him is he got his handcuffs. But we have received information in social media that some of the criminals were going to take their criminal conduct into the neighborhood. I would tell them if you value your life, you probably shouldn't do that in Polk County because the people of Polk County like guns. They have guns. I encourage them to own guns. And they're going to be in their homes tonight with their guns loaded. And if you try to break into their homes to steal, to set fires, I'm highly recommending they blow you back out of the house with their guns. Ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, my conversation with Sheriff Grady Judd. And joining me is the highly esteemed Sheriff Grady Judd. Thank you very much for joining me, sir. I very much appreciate it. Well, it's my honor to be with you today and to speak with you and all of the folks that are in on your podcast. Thank you very much, sir. Now, I'm from Florida. Everybody that's listening from Florida, I'm sure we are very well aware of, of who you are and, and uh, your background. But for everyone across the country that is not familiar with you, could you do me a favor and just kind of introduce yourself for my listeners? Sure, Absolutely. I'm Grady Judd, and I'm the sheriff of Polk County, Florida, and that's the county where we don't put up with any baloney. 
<laughs> unlike you see all of this ugliness that's going on around all over the country. Well, let me tell you something. That stuff doesn't happen here because our community doesn't want it, and I'm not going to allow it to occur. I've been in law enforcement my entire adult life, and I'm in year number 17 as the elected sheriff of the county. I am the first sheriff in the 160-year history of the county to be elected to five terms of office. Oh, wow. And here's what I found out. If you work hard and do what the people ask you to do, and that's to keep them safe and keep the community safe, put bad guys in jail, and proactively interact with the community, help them during times of need, not just policing and writing tickets and putting people in jail, but helping people that are in distress, they let you hang out here. Yeah, absolutely. It's we we kind of we work in this very uh, merit based business where, like you said, if if what you're doing is working and you're interacting with the community, it really seems to to work and people seem to enjoy that. Absolutely. And do you know when you look around the nation at the horrible events that are going on? Unfortunately, we've allowed a few bad actors in our law enforcement industry and a few bad law enforcement agencies in our industry to set the tone and paint us all as being evil and bad and wrong. And that's just so far from the truth. Absolutely. So I tell folks, we win friends one at a time, but we can lose friends by thousands at a time with our action or inaction. But if you care about the community and you engage positively in the community and you go above and beyond things that you have to do in law enforcement, that's what endears the community to you. So therefore, if you do all the right things at all the right times, and then occasionally you have to write someone a traffic citation or you have to arrest someone who's not doing what's right. The rest of the community applauds instead of showing up and throwing rocks at you. Yes, absolutely. That's that's a great way to put it. Kind of really putting in the legwork and, and building that community relationship that we're, we're people's helping people. And I think a lot of times that may be forgotten or maybe not emphasized enough. And I think what you just said absolutely kind of nails that right right in. So absolutely. Well, I'll give you an example. It wasn't so long ago, maybe a month, six weeks ago that I saw a post of one of our deputies in uniform mowing an elderly gentleman's front yard. Now, his front yard probably wasn't much larger than a postage stamp. And the gentleman was out there on, listen to me now, he was on a walker, I mean, using a cane, <laughs> a cane in one hand and pushing the lawnmower in the other. Well, the deputy pulls over, puts the car in gear, uh, in park, hops out, and in about three minutes, mowed this man's front yard. <laughs> it went viral. Mm -hmm. It went viral. Now, tell me something. Do you think that man or any of his family wants to show up tonight to throw rocks and bottles at our deputies? No, absolutely, absolutely not. On We have a charity that we put together here, here at the sheriff's office. So we raise money for our own charity. And we give turkeys away to those that are in need on Thanksgiving. And this county is probably 700, 725,000 people. We partner with Toys for Tots. And our statement is no child in this entire county of over 700,000 
wakes up on Christmas morning without a toy, without a mm-hmm. present. And we make that happen. So we go above and beyond. Now, there's a lot of guys that say, well, that's not the job of being a cop. Well, duh. Yes, it is. <laughs> and when you look out for and you take care of the community, guess what? They look out for and take care of you back. But if the yeah. only time they see you is in a conflict situation and you're and you just are hard nosed, then you get what they have in Portland and Seattle and Minneapolis and Chicago and all of those other places. Mm-hmm. So and you go, well, the cops are not creating all that. No, but they're not creating the environment. See, the cops can be the leaders in the community and they can force the people who are on city councils and city commissions and county commissions to want to do the right thing and to join in with them. So I, I say we're missing an opportunity around the state, around the nation, if we're not actively engaging with the community and therefore being the leader, mm-hmm. setting the leadership example. And when we do that, you'll find out that city commissions and city commissioners will do that and county commissioners and that aren't will. And I can, in our community, our county commission is just fantastic. And I hear sheriffs all over this nation because I've been the president of the major county sheriffs of America. I've been the president of the Florida Sheriff's Association. I hear sheriffs complaining about their city commissions or county commissions. And I can tell you what, it's just the polar opposite here. My commission's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But you know what? You get what you give. Sure, sure. So if you give trust and you give tr- uh, beliefs and you give work, gosh, good things happen back. But if you're nasty and ugly, and then you create an environment for people not to like you. Sure, yeah. That's not what, that's not what our deputies and what we do here. We create an environment to be liked. And we want our community to know they can depend on us. And that's what makes the difference in the way we do the job here. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of that that philosophy of garbage in, garbage out, where the exact opposite of it, if you're putting in good, you're going to get good out of it. So absolutely. that's exactly right. Yeah, absolutely. So, Sheriff, you said that um, you've been in law enforcement your entire adult life. How How long has that been? 49 years. Congratulations. I, wow. I started when I was 18 years old. Okay. Right out of high school in the communications. Okay. And then at 19 years of age, I went on the road as a deputy. And back in those days, they didn't provide a firearm for you. You had to provide your own firearm and ammunition. Well, I was so young that my dad had to go to the store to buy my gun and ammunition <laughs> so I could police because the federal firearms law said you had to be 21. Right. So we've made a lot of changes since those days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From your start in communications all the way up to sheriff, what kind of uh, things did you do as you were coming up in your career? Any specialized units that you preferred? or? Well, I, I, I had a rapid ascent in this business. I was a deputy at 19. I was a corporal at 22, a mm-hmm. sergeant at 23, a lieutenant at 25, and a captain at 27. Oh, wow. So I didn't get to spend a lot of time in the different disciplines, but I spent an entire career either in or supervising disciplines. The most fun, obviously, is narcotics and organized crime enforcement. Mm -hmm. Now, I go back in the day when we laid out on airstrips and took off smugglers smuggling in uh, plane loads of cocaine and 
and marijuana out of South America. And that's, you know, that kind of smuggling is a thing of the past now. But drug enforcement is a lot of fun. And there's no real pressure on you because no one knows what you're doing to the investigation's over. <laughs> right. Now, solving a big-time murder is awesome because anyone who would kill someone needs to go to jail as soon as possible. Unfortunately, there's a huge amount of pressure to solve those kinds of crimes. Sure. So at the end of the day, when you get the person arrested, and the investigation really at that point is just beginning, it is just this huge amount of of, of upfront pressure that you can't you can't enjoy the homicide investigation for the pressure. Hmm. Where in narcotics you can work massive big cases, and there's no pressure to get it done. When it right. happens, it happens. And if you if you the listeners that have been involved in that understand, dopers don't have a clock. You know, they work. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. work when they work. Yeah, they, they have drug dealer time. Absolutely. So what made you want to be in law enforcement in the first place? I think it's a uh, mission, Phil. I think it's a God thing. I can never remember a time in my life back to when I was a little guy. I mean, my mother has and father have eight millimeter pictures of me wearing a policeman's uniform and marching around and beating up a, uh, a punching bag mm-hmm. all the way when I was a small child. And growing up, I never wanted to do anything else, really. So uh, it's, it, it, it has just been, it's been a special life. It's been a whirlwind life, but it, I, I have worked very few days out of my career because I, I do every day what I love to do. And even after all this time, I wake up most mornings before the alarm goes off to come to work because Mm. I like serving. I I believe in the cops. I think they're a special, special breed of person. They give and they give and they take risks for people they don't even know. And uh, I, I don't think there's anything in the world as special as law enforcement officers. Very, very cool. Very, very nice. So over the course of your career, what has been some of the biggest changes that you've seen uh, within the job itself? I've seen us go from a very crime-inviting society in the 70s and 80s where the felons owned Florida Mm -hmm. to they changed the laws to minimum mandatory 85% sentencing in Florida, 1020 life, those kinds of laws. And precipitously, crime began to fall. And for about the last, you know, 20, 25 years, crime has fallen. And now they're wanting to go back to the same exact way that got us to the high crime rate and the dangerous communities that we had before we changed the laws. But that's called lack of institutional knowledge. The Most of the people trying to pass laws now were either in elementary, high school, or college back in the day when the felons owned Florida and crime ran rapid. And they, by the time they got to adulthood, crime's always been low statistically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. So that now they think, oh, we can do this and we can do that and we can hug a thug and things <laughs> will be better. Yeah. Well, they, they weren't engaged when we were hugging thugs before and it didn't work. 
Mm-hmm. I was. I was a very young deputy where we were fighting our way into situations and fighting our way out of situations. You would catch somebody with a firearm that just robbed a store and shot it. They, they'd go to court. They'd give them 10 years. And in 22 months, you'd see them out robbing stores again. And you yeah. go, hey, dude, you just got 10 years. What happened? Oh, they parole me for good conduct. What the hell? <laughs> How you, you know, good conduct in prison? <laughs> right, so right. We went from 20, 30% on a sentence to 85%. And things got got a lot better quickly. And crime went down immediately. Sure, sure. And technology got better. I mean, I look back and wonder how in the world did we ever solve a murder? <laughs> right. Because, you know, it it was shoe leather. You know, we could say, oh, it's blood. And we could tell you, we could type it and tell you if it was A, B, or O. But we had no DNA. Mm-hmm. All we had was fingerprints if the surface was conducive. And I look back now and we've got DNA and we've got technology. The first thing we do is we grab the cell phones. Right, yeah. And we we start a technology investigation. And, and back in the day, none of that was available. I, I'm amazed that we ever solved a crime. And statistically, we didn't solve the percentage of crimes then that we do now. Sure. Those are those are really great perspectives. I really liked the what you said regarding uh, the 85 percent, you know, and the crime rate and things like that. It's true. It's kind of like when you're taking a medicine because you have an ailment and you're like, oh, I'm all better. Well, no, it's because you're taking the medicine. It's the exact same thing as enforcing the laws more more strictly and having stronger laws. So that was that was a great perspective that I'm sure a lot of my listeners probably didn't think of well think of it this way most most of your listeners probably are law enforcement officers that are between 20 and 45 yep so like where were they in 1970 (laughs) some of them weren't even a thought in their mama's and daddy's eyes where were they in the 1980s and the 1990s you see so the law enforcement officers when for the most part today that are in service and and i don't I don't mean that in a in a condescending manner. They they don't know what they don't know, but they're starting to understand right. with them with them unrolling these laws because back in the day the criminals owned Florida. And what changed what really changed, because in the 70s and 80s, we were going to the Florida legislature, and this was going on all over the country, but not to the extent it was in Florida, because this was a vacation mecca. We were saying, hey, you know, they're robbing and and raping and shooting and killing, not until they started targeting the tourist. Mm-hmm. And over a period of one or two years, 17 tourists in Florida were murdered. They robbed and murdered some in a in a rest area off an interstate. And Europe issued a travel warning about coming to Florida on vacation that it was oh. dangerous. Wow. When it became an economical issue as opposed to a social issue, we immediately started changing the laws. Mm-hmm. And crime started going just down, just way down. So at the end of the day, neither the law enforcement officers nor the rule makers nor most of the prosecutors and judges remember the 70s and 80s because, unlike me, they had enough sense to retire out or they (laughs) either weren't born yet. 
So no one has seen this transition of two generations of what happens when you don't police, what happens when you do police, and then we're starting to see what happens when you don't police again. Sure. And look around the nation. I was in Washington the other day, and and one of the uh, one of the senators said, "Oh my gosh, what's going on here?" I said, "Well, when you scare the cops and the police administrators, and they quit proactive policing, and they only a- a- answer calls like a firefighter, mm-hmm. then they write great reports, but they're not stopping crime and criminals. And thugs know that and take advantage of that. And so yeah. that's the environment we're in now, where the cops have basically basically said, "Hey, look." We're not going to go out here and do anything proactive that gets us locked up. Mm-hmm. So y'all just have a have a good day. And when you get tired of being uh, raped, robbed, murdered, beat, and everything broken into and stolen, uh, give us a call. And I'm afraid that's what we're seeing today. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, you see all these large cities across America. That's really what it seems to be. You see the the police are afraid to be the police because, like you said, it's, they're going to get more in trouble for policing than the criminal is for breaking the law. Sure. I mean, some, it is wrong, wrong, wrong in society when all, all of a sudden the good men are the criminals and the criminals are the good men. And that's not the way this country works or will ever work appropriately. And I can tell you right now, if I was a law enforcement officer in those communities that had that attitude and lack of leadership, and I did, you know, I wouldn't do anything either other than that would put me at any kind of risk. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, I can't discredit them for not doing anything. Absolutely. Absolutely not. Because the police respond to the community. The, the, the beautiful thing about it is in this state, especially in the state of Florida, we have a governor that's, that's pro community and he wants everyone to be safe. He is pro cop. He has everyone's back in this County. I have my guys back. I want everybody to be safe. This community wants to be safe. And the community has my back, and I have their back, and I have the cops back. So we go out and lock your butt up here. But there are places in this country that I just flat would not be in law enforcement today. Mm -hmm. And it's foolish because for them to get a full career and retire is is just, just a really risky business. And you know what? There's good places all over this country and all over this state that good young men and women can go and work in law enforcement, do it the right way, for the right reason, protect people, and have someone watch out for their back. They don't have to put up with that garbage that's going on. And any, and I saw just last weekend, I believe it was Portland, Oregon, where the SWAT team mm-hmm. disbanded. Well, you know what? I can't, be, I can't blame them. But the thing is, shame on the community, shame on the local elected officials that that have allowed that environment to exist. Yes, I I agree wholeheartedly with you, sir. Um, Throughout your career, obviously, you know, you've seen a lot of things. For all the younger law enforcement officers listening, what would be your advice? How do they have such a long and um, prosperous career in law enforcement? What would be your tips? Well, I learned early on that if you think you're going to improve the whole nation, you're just going to drive yourself crazy. You take one win at a time. You don't take one shift at a time. You take every call at a time. And you do the best that you can. You have a good time. 
you look for the levity, and there is a lot of levity in this job. You look for the levity and enjoy every day and accept it for what it is. Your job is to keep people safe, interact with the community, help those in need, help those that are poor, that can't afford. So at the end of the day, you know, I always loved my job a lot. And I, I, and, and by the way, I still do. But you can't let it overwhelm you. And you've also got to recognize that people call you when there's trouble. So you cannot believe that the entire world is made up of the people that you interact with every day because mm-hmm. it's not. It's absolutely not. They're, the overwhelming majority of every community and every county, city, state are wonderful, hardworking people. And it's just a few that misbehave. So you've got to keep that in balance. But for me, I always loved every day at work. I did what I could do and what I couldn't do or couldn't get to. I'd pick it up and go again tomorrow. But don't try to take the burden of the whole world on your shoulders or you'll never make a career out of this job. Very true, sir. Uh, this one, this question kind of ties into that. As a, as a leader in law enforcement, what would you advise or what, what would you, what would tap, what tactics would you employ to someone that's feeling disenfranchised with this job? Um, someone that's kind of, you know, they, they fell out of love with it because of everything that's going on in the world. Yeah. Once again, you, you, you can't pay attention to that because you can't take those burdens on. You know, there's there's times that you get frustrated, but you know what I do when I when I would get frustrated like that, I'd ride by and I'd see someone working on a road crew. Now they're making good money working on road crews, mm-hmm. but it's hot out there. As I'm riding around in my air conditioned car, you know, it's like you put it all in perspective. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, I could be out working on that road crew making good money, or I could be. I could own a roofing business and be making a lot of money. But when those roofers don't show up, you get on that roof and roof too. (laughs) I could own a plumbing business, you know, but who wants to climb underneath a house or in an attic, you know, and at, you know, 130 degrees up there to replumb. I don't Mm -hmm. care what kind of money you make. So you just have to put the world in perspective. And at the end of the day, when I can go home at the, at the end of a work day and know that I've helped somebody that was in distress and that I got to ride around in an air conditioned car and it wasn't my gas and see the world for what it really is. That's pretty special. Absolutely. And sir, as far, I mean, all that's great perspective and I, and I really hope people take that to heart. Reaching out to the leadership that may be listening, what would you tell them to do to kind of excite people or kind of build up the ranks because people are leaving law enforcement in such drastic numbers. What do we do to bring people back to work the streets? Well, sure. First and foremost, when you're a CEO, a police chief or a deputy chief or sheriff or, uh, or a chief, chief of staff or an undersheriff, you can't forget from where you came. I still back up deputies on calls. I still stop vehicles I still go to in-progress calls if I'm the closest one there, and I've got over a 1,000 deputies. But you lead from the front. 
people in leadership positions I've seen over and over forget where they came from. But I'm a street cop at heart, and I always will be. And I always think about those officers or deputies that had to make that split-second decision based upon what they knew at that time. And if you engage with and listen to your law enforcement officers that work for you, and you care about them and their families, then they'll care about you and the job in the community. I have I have what I call interaction meetings or breakfast with the sheriff where I sit down with just me and the deputies. I tell them, hey, here's the dates and times I'm going to do it this year. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you don't like. Tell us what we can improve on. Let me know how I can make this a more fun, a safer environment for you. And that's what we do. That's why we put uh, rifles, ARs in, in the cars back in the day. That's why I went to one and they said, well, other people that we're out here against have ARs. We like rifle plates. I bought everybody rifle plates. Whatever it is that helps them do their job, makes them feel comfortable and safe. Whatever training we can afford, whatever equipment we can afford, we do that. We put a lot of technology in the car. I just gave all of my deputies a cell phone. Better customer service also acts as a hotspot for their computer. Also gives them a camera, gives them a recording device. They don't have to carry all that junk in the back of their car now because they've got it in their cell phone. So at the end of the day, I get up every day and go, if I was a cop on the street today, what would I want to make this job more fun or easier? And that's the way we run the organization. And then it's just knowing, you know, if we have a tragic situation where a deputy has to shoot someone in the line of duty. I go out there personally to everyone and the chiefs do. I listen to what happened and, and as they all have been, you know, totally justified. I put my arm around that deputy's shoulder and thank him for his, him or her for their work. I, I say, I thank the good Lord that you didn't get hurt. And I'm sorry that those people made you shoot them. But I got you back. I go right there, right to their face, right at the time. So there's no doubt in anybody's mind. If one of my deputies gets significantly injured in a vehicle crash or at work, I go to the hospital. I go to be with their parent, with their family, with their parents or their their husbands or wives or significant others. You know, because you know why I do that? Because all of these folks that work for the sheriff's office actually work for the community and every one of them that work in this work family are part of my family. So I'd run to the hospital if my son was injured in a car car crash. So these men and women are my sons and daughters in that sense to me. Mm-hmm. It's all personal and they're a very, very important part of my life. And I treat them that way, and they treat me that way, and they treat the community that way. And if as a law enforcement leader you don't believe that, get the hell out. Go retire. Mm-hmm. Make room for somebody who does. Those are excellent words of wisdom, Sheriff. I really I really appreciate it. I know you got to uh, get 
going with your day. I just have a few more questions. If I can just uh, run these through you real quick. These are more uh, kind of lighthearted and, and get to know you type questions. Sure. If you, if you have a few moments, um, what is the proudest moment in your law enforcement career? Well, I don't know that there's a single proud moment every time, every month when I swear in new deputies, that's a pretty proud moment for me because I think about when I got sworn in as a deputy, how excited I was that day. So that's, that's probably as, as proud as I can be as the day I get to swear in brand new deputies because I think about when I was young and had that opportunity and that dream come true that I had dreamed about my entire life up to that point. Mm-hmm. So that's that's probably one of my favorites. Very nice. Uh, of all the police cars you've driven in your career, what's your favorite? Back in the day, we, we had a Pontiac Le Mans. Mm-hmm. That was the best looking car back in the day, about 1977. The fastest car I ever drove was a, back in the day, was a 1970 Ford Force. 460 interceptor i believe okay it had it had a hundred and uh i think it had 160 on the speedometer and i can testify that it would do about 152 (laughs) i wouldn't drive one that fast today but now we give hemis dodge hemis to folks and i sure hope they don't drive those as fast as they they will run (laughs) right 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 uh what what's your favorite type of donut my favorite kind of donut, actually, I like blueberry cake donut, chocolate cake donut, uh, and uh, pumpkin donuts. Man, when oh, the yeah. fall comes and they start doing pumpkin don- donut, cake donuts, I'm I'm in love. <laughs> uh, if you could share one meal with one person, dead or alive, that you've never met, who would it be, and what would you order? Well, the my favorite president of all times was Ronald Reagan. Okay, and if 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 it has to be someone I don't know, that I would like to I would like to have an evening meal with Ronald Reagan. Okay, I think he was the most awesome president in our times. Okay, very good. Uh, what would you order? Uh, I would order. Uh, I don't know. I like everything. I would <laughs> I would order probably a bone in ribeye and lobster. Okay, very good. A little surf and turf. Uh, what's the best advice anyone ever gave you? Be humble. Treat people like you want to be treated. Absolutely. The, the golden rule. Treat, you know, I, and I tell folks, my, my new deputies on day one, if you talk to and treat people like you'd want your mama talked to and treated, then we'll never have any problems. <laughs> absolutely. Those are, those are great words of wisdom, Sheriff. Sheriff Grady Judd, thank you so much for your time, sir. This is absolutely amazing. I had a great time. I hope we can do it again soon. God bless you. And I keep all of the law enforcement officers in my prayers every day because they're doing a magnificent job out here. And uh, I'm with them in heart and soul every day. Take care. Thank you very much, sir. Have a great day. You can run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Sooner or later, got to cut you down. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Go tell that long tongued liar. Go and tell that midnight rider. Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter. Tell him that God's gonna cut him down. Tell him that God's gonna cut him down. Well, my goodness gracious, let me tell you the news. My head's been wet with the midnight dew 
I've been down on bended knee Talking to the man from Galilee He spoke to me with a voice so sweet I thought I heard the shuffle of angels sweet He called my name and my heart stood still When he said, John, go do my will I am sure that many of you right now, especially those of you employed in some of the cities we discussed, are rushing to apply to Polk County Sheriff's Office right this moment. If so, I'm going to make it a little easier for you. Go to polksheriff.org. That's the website. Click the Join Us link and start filling out your application. Be sure to put down the 10 podcast as a reference. You know, help a brother out. Uh, once again, thank you so much for Sheriff Grady Judd and the whole team over at the Polk County Sheriff's Office for uh, allowing me to have that conversation. It was amazing and giving me the opportunity to share that with my audience and hopefully gaining a new audience from everyone that wanted to hear the sheriff speak. I hope everyone was as inspired as I was to continue the good fight for our community and yourself and uh, you know, keep fighting for law enforcement. So, the next portion of this episode, uh, every episode, is what I like to call the Code 4 Check. This is where I have all my listeners do a quick self-mental health evaluation. Listen, folks, law enforcement is a tough career path. I feel like it gets more difficult day by day. Not just because of the work we do on the streets, but because of everything else. All the outside influences, our family life, um, significant others, children, but also, of course, the media and the public perception. Um, obviously, like the sheriff and I discussed, that comes from something more than us, of course, but we need to be cognizant of the impact that the job is having on our lives. In this family, we do not fight alone. Some of the best resources that I've come across during uh, my time with the podcast and my meme page on Instagram Um, are these two that I'm going to recommend to you today. The first one is Project 109. It's a nonprofit based out of Connecticut run by a police sergeant and his wife who is a retired dispatcher and EMT. Their goal is to change the perception and shatter the stigma of mental health throughout the first responder community and beyond. Project 109 can be reached on Instagram or you can visit their website project109.org. The other resource out there that I would like to talk about today is the Resiliency Project, which is ran by retired California police officer Nick Wilson. His goal is to end the silent suffering of our nation's first responders by providing peer support and funding for treatment, recovery, and psychological services in an effort to treat post-traumatic stress, build resilience, and end suicide. You can learn more about the Resiliency Project at theresiliencyproject.info. Both of those uh, organizations are amazing. Both of the, uh, or all of the people that run those organizations are amazing. Uh, I have multiple episodes of this podcast with Stephanie and George of Project 109, as well as an episode with Nick Wilson of the Resiliency Project. They are amazing people. They are uh, selfless, absolutely amazing. I would recommend checking out the episodes I've done with Project 109 and Nick Wilson, and uh, of course checking out their organizations as well, as they will continue to help our community heal and heal together. And with that, that concludes our episode for today. The music for today's episode was the authority song by real big fish. I fought the law by the clash, the Miami vice theme. God's going to cut you down by Johnny cash. And we will be ending shortly with Johnny too bad by the supervillains. Again, thank you very much to Sheriff Judd for our conversation, folks. If you enjoyed the episode, please feel free to check out our previous episodes on all your favorite podcast platforms. Also, 
If you enjoyed the episode, please rate it, review it, subscribe so you don't miss another episode, and share it with anyone you think would enjoy. You can also follow 108 Memes on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a merch store for some uh, dorky law enforcement inspired t-shirts, stickers, and all a bunch more. You can check out the store at 10, spell it out, T-E-N, dash 8, spell it out, E-I-G-H-T, dash memes, M-E-M-E-S, dot equid, E-C-W-I-D, dot com. Again, 10, dash 8, dash memes, dot equid, E-C-W-I-D, dot com. And if you want to donate to the 108 Podcast to help us get just even more better. Yes, that is the phrase I'm sticking with. Scroll to the bottom of our post on your uh, Spotify or, or Apple Podcasts or whatever, and the link will be there. One last thing that I want to say today. Sheriff Judd spoke about the purpose of law enforcement, and it made me think of this piece by Paul Harvey called Policeman. You see, recently, I have been dealing with some very traumatic and evil things in the world of policing. The absolute worst-case scenario for anyone who will put on a badge. It's really led to an identity crisis, even for me. And something about listening to this piece really puts things into perspective, but at the same time lights a fire underneath me. So I will leave you with this. And uh, again, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for your continued support. I hope you tune in next week for the 108 Leadership Academy featuring Captain Tom Rizzo, Under Sheriff Kevin Malone, Sergeant George Frannick, and Sergeant Lamont Corker. Until then, friends, take care of each other. Stay safe. 108. Out. Policeman. A policeman is a composite of what all men are, I guess, a mingling of saint and sinner, dust and deity, called statistics, wave the fan over stinkers, underscore instances of dishonesty and brutality because they are news. What that really means is that they are exceptional. They are unusual. They are not commonplace. Buried under the froth is the fact. And the fact is that less than one half of one percent of policemen misfit that uniform, and that is a better average than you'd find among clergymen. What is a policeman? He of all men is at once the most needed and the most wanted, a strangely nameless creature who is sir to his face and pig or worse behind his back. He must be such a diplomat that he can settle differences between individuals so that each will think he won, but if a policeman is neat, he's conceited. If he's careless, he's a bum. If he's pleasant, he's a flirt. If he's not, he's a grouch. He must make instant decisions which would require months for a lawyer, but if he hurries, he's careless. If he's deliberate, he's lazy. He must be first to an accident, infallible with a diagnosis. He must be able to start breathing, stop bleeding, tie splints, and above all, be sure the victim goes home without a limp or expect to be sued. The police officer must know every gun, draw on the run, and hit where it doesn't hurt. He must be able to whip two men twice his size and half his age without damaging his uniform and without being brutal. If you hit him, he's a coward. If he hits you, he's a bully. A policeman must know everything and not tell. He must know where all of the sin is and not partake. The policeman from a single human hair must be able to describe the crime, the weapon, the criminal, and tell you where the criminal is hiding, but if he catches the criminal, he's lucky. If he doesn't, he's a dunce. If he gets promoted, he has political pull. If he doesn't, he's a dullard. The policeman must chase bum leads to a dead end, stake out ten nights to tag one witness who saw it happen but refuses to remember. He runs files and writes reports until his eyes ache to build a case against some felon who will get dealed out by a shameless Seamus or an honorable who isn't honorable. The policeman must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, 
and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. Walking down the road with a pistol in your waist, Johnny, I do.